Welcome to Family Life Today, presented in cooperation with this station by Power to Change. We hope today's program will give you something to reflect on and to encourage you in your relationships. Our hosts are Dave and Ann Wilson. So it isn't every day we get to have good friends in the Family Life Today studio. Isn't it fun? Yeah, I mean, we've got the Valentines back with us. They've known us for 25 years, maybe. I don't know how many years. That means we're old. That's what that means. Yeah, but I mean, we've been friends. We've uh, watched them raise their kids. I threw passes to their oldest son to get him ready for college football. Um, Kevin Melissa, Melissa, welcome welcome back. back. Look at that. We sit at the same time. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Good to be back. Well, on the previous program, we heard the story of, boy, I remember that night, not like you do, but when you were trying to help a lady change a tire on the side of the road and ended up getting smashed between two cars, a woman hit you going 50 plus miles an hour, never hit her brakes. You should be in a in a casket right now. You survived. But you lost your left leg. And you guys were only 22 and 23. You'd only been married just over half a year. Mm -hmm. And you're facing the biggest struggle of your lives. So you find out as you wake wake up out of that coma that you've lost your leg. So take us back. I mean, that was over 20 years ago. Take us back to the journey of what that has been like over the last two decades. There were some moments early on that set us up for the next 20 plus years. I've been asked a ton, you know, how were you not angry? How are you not mad at God? Like, how did you square you're doing what God wants you to do with you're getting hurt and losing so much? And so I was angry um, for about two weeks. Two weeks into after I woke up, uh, the doctors kept talking about saying, we're going to take you to the jacuzzi room. So um, the jacuzzi room, jacuzzi room, or maybe tomorrow, jacuzzi room, finally two weeks in, they go, all right, it's the time. We're taking the jacuzzi room. And I'm thinking what you think of when you think about a jacuzzi. It's going to be nice. It's going to be really relaxing. It's going to feel good. They wheel me into this room, and there are about eight to ten stainless steel vats filled with water. And it is sterile. It is gray. It is dark. And they wheel me to the biggest tank in the middle of the room. They hoist me up to the ceiling, push me over, and drop me into this um, tank. And then they take water jets and focus them on all of my wounds to flush out road debris. Back Uh. to the jacuzzi room. Mm. So the nurse goes, all right, I'm going to set a time for 20 minutes, and I'll be back. And closes the curtain around me. First time I'd been alone. And I just looked down at my body, and it was um, out of a horror movie. I just remember for the first time going, There's no coming back from this. Like, it just felt final. It's over. I start to get mad at God. And I am just going through all the things you would think. I'm doing what you wanted me to do for my life. I'm following everything you asked me to do. I'm giving up everything that I want to do for what you want me to do. And this is what I get. You know, so all that's going through my mind. And the best way I can describe what happened in this tank is I was ready to give God both barrels. Everything I had of just how angry I was. And it's like, as I looked up into his face to just blast him, um, there were tears rolling down his. And it was almost like in that moment, if you just see a scene of of Jesus there with me when that car hit me, standing right beside, riding in the ambulance with me, being in the operating room, and then sitting beside my bed for 10 days and now walking with me every day. I just, I saw that in my mind of just going, you never left me. 
You went through it all with me. And it just, the anger just melted. It went from a 10 to a 1. What happened in that tank is I basically crawled up in Jesus' lap. And he just held me like a little boy. And all I kept hearing him say over and over was, it's going to be okay. Trust me. Um, that went on for 20 minutes. And then um, the lady came and got me and took me back. And they took me to the jacuzzi room every day for about five days. And those are the sweetest memories I have in my life hmm. of time with Jesus. Because he just held me. And that's exactly what I needed. And the anger has never come back. Like it literally has not been something that I carry since then. I feel like Jesus just released me from that anger by me realizing that he was with me in that tank and with me through the whole thing. I'm just curious, as you think about that, with listeners that are listening that have really gone through some suffering, as Mm. you guys have gone through, if they're in it right now, what would you say to them? Through every ounce of suffering you've experienced, Jesus has never left your side. He never turned his back on you. He never forgot about you. He never left you in the dust. But he experienced every single moment with you and loves you. And and that's what I experienced. And I'm like, man, that is a gift that he gave me was his presence in that tank. But just that experience of knowing that I wasn't left alone. And I think for people that are suffering, it's interesting on this side of it. In some ways, I'm much more empathetic to suffering and in other ways I'm less empathetic and what I mean by that is for people that are in the midst of tragedy and don't know if life's going to ever come back I get that I live that Jesus showed up for me in that for and this is just is so weird to say but for people that are experiencing difficult times that are not a 10 maybe they're a four or five but they're they're making it a 10 I've kind of gone, oh, you don't know suffering. (laughs) You know, it's an interesting dynamic of just kind of going, man, I, I get it. Um, I have, I had a great friend who had MS at the time. I spent four months in a wheelchair. It is so hard being in a wheelchair. You have no idea. She's got to load up the wheelchair every time, push me everywhere I go. People don't see you. When they do see you, they stare at you. You feel like you're an outcast. I lived that for four months and I remember going to my buddy Steve and going, Steve, I called him after the first time I felt like people were staring at me. Steve, how do you do it? You know, just because he, and it was like he had a new friend that understood his world. And so it was really kind of a cool connection point because I was able to go to him and go, how do I deal with this? And he was able to just feel like, man, somebody understands my world. Mm. Melissa, did you feel the same thing? Like Jesus is with me or is it a different journey? It was a little bit different. It was a terrible experience, and it was a wonderful experience all at the same time because God was right there with us. He was mm-hmm. walking through this with us. We were getting to know each other in a way that we never would have yeah, otherwise. Really. You know, we were sharing things. We were talking about things. We were going through stuff together that bonded us in a way that we never would have bonded mm-hmm. if not for that. Yeah, and I know one of the uh, memories I have, I think we did a video at church mm-hmm. where you talked about hiding Maybe I'm saying it wrong, but, you you know, even wearing a prosthesis that covered up or I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly. But talk about that a little bit, because I remember you saying there was a moment where you decided I don't need to hide this. Yeah, I, I think for me, I entered into the disability community as I got back to somewhat normal life. It took me four months. I got a leg and I started learning how to walk. 
I started feeling le- like less of a man. I started ha- finding that people were looking at me a little differently. And that just kind of made me really insecure. And I saw this guy walk in one day and you couldn't tell which leg was the missing one. He was at the prosthetics office. And I was like, I want like, where'd you get that skin, man? Like it looked real. And so it kind of started me on this journey of going, hey, let's just put a a skin on that and let's see how things go, you know? And so we started kind of making it match the other leg. And while on the one hand, it made a difference because people didn't look at my leg while they were talking to me, you know, it was kind of like, Hey, you know, I'm over here, you know, it's just a distraction. It, it kind of fixed that. But there was a point in the journey. Um, and I did that for a number of years. There was a point in the journey, which I think you're alluding to Dave, where I'm like, man, I am trying to cover up um, something that God has given to me as a gift in some ways because I had gotten to the point where I started looking back and you know, you always wonder, you're like, if I could go back and could get that changed, um, would I change it? And I got to the point where I'm like, no, because God had done so much great work in our life. There was a humility that God brought to that, a closeness that we had, an understanding of the goodness of God that I would have never had had I not gone through this. And I started realizing I'm covering this up. And yet this is a gift that God's given me. And I just remember getting to this point where I'm like, you know what? This is the leg that God has given me. And I don't want to hide it anymore. I don't want to be ashamed of it. I don't know if I was ashamed or embarrassed or felt less than because of it. I'm like, this is the leg that God's given me. And so kind of took the cover off. We all do that. Hmm. They may not be physical scars or wounds, but we have emotional things that we hide and we don't want people to see. We cover it up. Yep. And there is something about when God has done a miraculous healing, whether it be physical or emotional or psychological, and we see what he's done through it, like, oh, I've met God through this experience Mm -hmm. of allowing him in. And then that's what allows us to tell our story. Absolutely. You know, and I I think for 25 years removed from that, I am astounded at what God has done Mm -hmm. in our life and in our marriage and in our kids' life. My kids have grown up in a home where my little daughter, Avery, she's our youngest. I can still remember her. She's like two or three years old. She came into our room in the morning. She went and got my leg and pulled it over to the bed and said, come on, daddy, get up. Like she's got my (laughs) leg and she's handing it to me like, let's go, you know, and that's just kind of normal life, you know, and I hopefully have shown our kids. It's like you can experience a catastrophic life experiences and still put your life back together and have a really full life, you know, started playing golf really shortly after. Um, in fact, I started swinging a golf club before I got a prosthetic leg. Actually, I've had, I've played better this side of college golf in my leg. I played better than I did in college now, you know, just because there's a lot of advancements in prosthetics, but we've just wanted to have as normal of a life as we could and have worked hard to get that. Was the, uh, golf dream was that a crushing blow i mean you didn't know if you'd make it but you had this dream you're gonna go for it and it was in a moment gone um i would say for a while yeah because i i knew if god ever released me i would have tried and then you know melissa's like that would have been fun caddying for you i'm like (laughs) you would have gone too um but there was also a calling that had been placed on my life Mm -hmm. as well and i think that really superseded the loss but it definitely kind of killed the dream i think in the back of my mind i was like okay god as soon as i'll do this ministry thing but as soon as that's over i'm gone and that kind of went away after that you know that desire went away but i still in the back of my mind go i wonder if i could have made it you know i wonder if i could have made it from what dave says you're a pretty amazing golfer 
I can hold my own now. <laughs> what do you mean, hold your own? I hit my bomb, you know, drive about 210, and then you just bomb <laughs> yours like 350. I mean, it's just crazy how you can still swing a golf club with one leg. Yeah, I'm surprised as well, like, that I've been able to put together a golf game that's as good as it is, and I still compete in Florida amateur stuff and in national stuff with one-legged um, and adaptive uh, golf tournaments. And I think a big piece of that was just, you know, Melissa throughout all the years when I was putting things back together, just a cheerleader. Like, mm. I, it took me 10 years before I walked 18 holes. And this is a great story. We, um, I went to my first national amputee golf tournament. I had heard that there's this thing out there, and the best players in the world come to it. Um, and it was being played at Bethpage, which is where the U.S. Open had been, where Tiger had won the U.S. Open. And I'm like, man, let's uh, maybe we should go play in that. Because I hadn't played in any one-legged person uh, tournaments yet. We decide we're going to go to New York, go to Bethpage. And they have this course called the Bethpage Black Course. It is the U.S. Open course. It is walking only. You can't ride a cart on it. And so I'm like, I really want to play this course. So I need a caddy. So I'm like, Melissa, what do you think? And so Melissa's like, I'll caddy for you. But I haven't walked 18 holes in 10 years. I don't know if I can do it. But I'm like, I'm going to do it even if I die on the 15th hole. We're going to make it happen. (laughs) And so we get there early in the morning, and we tee off. And my goal was I wanted to break 80 on the course from the U.S. Open tees. Like, it was like, that's just what I wanted to do. The very first hole you tee off, and it goes down this huge hill. I, I tee off. And we've got to work our way down this hill. So Melissa's got my golf bag on her back. She's ahead of me on the hill. I've got my hand on her shoulder, and she is backstopping me all the way down. Because I, if she moves, I just fall down the hill. And so she's carrying both me and the clubs down the hill for that first one. And we go on, and um, we play 18 holes together. And um, we get to 18. It's super hot. If I par 18, I shoot 79. And it's like, A, what was really cool is I walked and played golf um, all the time in college and before. I loved it. I hadn't done it for 10 years. On the back nine, it starts becoming, I think I'm going to make all 18. And we just start enjoying our time together. Like, it's almost like going back to, I remember what this felt like. And so we get to 18. I know if I make a par and I get up there, I have an eight-foot putt to shoot 79, and I miss it. I shoot an 80. Um, but we had finished the round, and it was it was just a milestone. There's all these milestones, as I think back, of things that we didn't know we could do, and then we found out, you know what, we can do that, and I can do that. And we're still hitting milestones like that we just didn't know we could do. You know, I always look at it as there are things you decide before you try that are not for you. But then once you go and you give it a try, you realize this whole time I have been holding myself back. Mm-hmm. And there's just story after story of that for me and for us that we've just kind of worked through and found there's a lot of cool things we can do that we didn't think we could. So what's the wait, wait, this picture of them doing walking the course. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can picture you, Kevin, you know, holding on to Melissa's shoulder as she's <laughs> walking down like you'll fall if you don't hold on to her hand, your yep. hand on her shoulder and. And Melissa, you've got the weight of Kevin on your shoulder, but you're also carrying these golf clubs. That is such a picture of marriage right there. <laughs> you know, like you're carrying this weight of kids and, and responsibility and jobs. And sometimes our spouse is weak and they just need to put a little bit more mm-hmm. pressure on us. And Dave's done that to me in the past. And there are sometimes I don't want to have his hand on my shoulder because I feel weak myself. But it's such a beautiful picture in the 
the picture I see with it is Jesus holding you too, mm-hmm. Melissa. Mm-hmm. Like you have your hand on him and he, he's just, he's so proud of you guys, you know, as a team. Did mm-hmm. that feel good to you, Melissa, to be with Kevin and hit that milestone? Yeah. I mean, I think I hear your picture and it's beautiful. <laughs> Especially because when God gives you a calling or a mission and it's a calling or a mission that you have together, that's what carries you through. Yeah. You know, I wasn't thinking about Kevin's weight on my back or the bag. I'm like, we are going to finish this. We are going to do this. <laughs> and um, how fun to be able to do it together. Yeah. And it's the same in ministry. You know, when God calls you to do something and you get to do it together. It's so fun to be a part of that. There's nothing like that. I remember being so proud of him and so happy to have been a part of it. And, and yeah, so was, sweet, Kevin, that you would even ask Melissa to do that yeah you know because you could have asked some other dude or whatever Mm -hmm. because you know those clubs get heavy after 18 (laughs) holes and walking but the fact that you asked melissa i bet you were super honored that he would ask you his best friend and the beautiful thing is i needed him too because i wasn't a caddy i didn't i didn't want to mess up anybody else's game out there so i'm like what do i have to do where should i stand what am i doing just hand me that club Yep, seriously, just give me that one. But it was super fun, and that um, that kind of started me on a journey of playing, you know, in these golf tournaments um, every year, which just became a, another part of the story of I've been able to, you know, it's almost like what I gave up, what I had to give up because of the accident. God gave us back in some ways, you know, of, of being able to compete against some of the best players in the world. I've traveled around the world playing in golf tournaments as an amputee, which is super fun. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've traveled around the United States. I'm like, I still kind of get to go out and do some golf stuff, travel and play golf, which I, you know, what a gift. You know, mm. So there's been a lot of fun to be able to do that and to represent the U.S. and other countries playing, you know, um, and also to just play nationally in tournaments here. I kind of feel like God's like, I still got you. I'll still give you a little bit every now and then. You can go out and do your fun, you know, play against and compete. Mm. I'm guessing there's a couple listening right now. Mm. They've gone through, maybe they're in it, you mm. know, a tragedy, a trauma. could be like yours. It could be worse. could be a little less. Maybe it's not even a spouse. Maybe it's one of their kids. What would you say to them to get through it? What do they need to know? From my perspective, there was a number of days in a row that this happened, and then periodically for years. And the best way I can describe it is there were mornings early on that I would wake up and I would feel like I was sitting on a fence. And on one side was bitterness, and on one side, and this is not the right way to say it, was betterness. And I had a choice every day. And I would just remember sitting on that fence and there were days I chose to be bitter and they were horrible days. And they were days where you only see the bad, you only see the difficult and you, you complain and you gripe and you're why. And then there's this choice you can make to just be better. And it is a, such a difficult choice. And what was interesting is I had to make that choice for years mm. to where it became just the choice that was made. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, it was the choice. No, I made that choice. I don't have to go visit and sit on the fence anymore. It was made. And I feel like for many, many years now, I've been li- able to live on the better side of the fence and not the bitter. And that's a, that's a daily choice. It's mm-hmm. a, every morning you wake up, especially when you're thick of it, you've got to make that choice. And I think with God's help, he can help you choose better. And I think my, my advice kind of marries with that. Tell God. Tell him everything. He's not surprised by the things you're telling him. He, It's not the first time he's heard it. 
not only can he take it, but he can speak into it. He can meet you there like nobody else can. I mean, nobody for a long time even asked about my story. I was walking along with Kevin and, you know, trying to help him and be there for him. And nobody really asked me my story for a really long time. But Jesus knew my story. Um, and it was those little conversations that, you know, God, I don't know what to do. I don't like this part. I, I missed the Kevin that could run. You know, all that stuff was completely safe with God. It's so beautiful when the things that you read about and the things that you think about God become personal. You're like, not only does he love me, but he loves me. He's shown me. He's met me here. He's been something to me that nobody else can be to me. Mm. It becomes very personal. And there's there's nothing like leaning on God. And there's nothing like just the things that he tells you when you trust him enough to tell him the things that are real. He just, he meets you there and he, he loves you whether it's the right thing to think or not, you know, he's going to show you things and, and meet you there. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. The God piece of recovery, when he is your daily go-to and you're honest, God, I am just, I feel like a loser today. I feel like less than a man today. Man, he just receives those comments and just steps in and gives you exactly what you need. And we learned through that, through this experience, to do that. And we still do. I mean, I'm like, God, I feel like a crappy parent right now. I've got this ongoing, everything that comes to my mind I'm sharing, you know, whether it's good or bad, or I'm like, well, this is wrong, but this is what I think. Um, and God's just shown up for us for 25 years now in just a fresh new way. Like this changed the game for us in a, believe it or not, in a positive way. If we could go back and change it, would you change it? No. Me neither. You know, it's like we're grateful that God chose us to go through this. And when we get to heaven, that's going to be a good day. We want to thank David Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life Today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication, and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as Power to Change and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. Do you want to impact couples in your neighbourhood? Consider joining with us at Power to Change to lead a home builders couples marriage workshop that focuses on practically applying the truth of scripture to our lives. Email radio at powertochange.org.au or check out our website families.powertochange.org.au under the Helping Couples tab for more information and to get started today. We hope you can join us again on Monday right here for another Family Life Today.